Welcome to Real Black Consciousness Forum Podcast. And now, the words of Mr. George. Come through, though. And make it. I wouldn't let nobody look in the little this long. I come when you had to be sitting on a turn row. If you're chopping cutting, you had to be sitting on a turn row waiting for it to get daylight enough to chop the cutting. Same thing about picking the cutting. And plying, the same way about plying. You, at 4 o'clock in the morning, if the sun's shining, not the sun, the moon, if the moon, you'd be out there in the field working. I've done more pine in the night than I did in the day, back in them days, because uh, uh, it would, I guess they call it, I don't know what they call it, but uh, the moon would shine so bright it looked just like uh, it was it would break a day. And you could you, you could either drive a wagon or plow or pull a hard or a drag, something like that, drag over. And the man that my daddy stayed on his farm, he had thousands of acres of land. He had plenty of land. And he had, I think he had three, three, three uh, 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 workplaces. I call them workplaces because you get out of this crop on this farm and they go to the next farm as a house set over there and went on. It wasn't no many houses. It's more houses now than it was back there. They didn't have no houses back there. I spent many nights sleeping in the cotton pen. My, me and my family sleep in the cotton pen. And man, we pick cotton all that day. And, and and when they weigh it, they dump it in the cotton house. The trailer wasn't there, they dump it in the cotton house. And they fill that trailer, uh, that, uh, that little old place up with cotton, just fill it up, put them to the top before that man and get coming in and he come in there with a big, long truck. And he had about four or five loading that truck Packing it down, walking and packing it down until uh, he get it loaded. Then uh, I, I was kind of small. I, I rode with him one time up there. And uh, on the way back, he said, George, you, you can drive one of these trucks. I said, yes, sir, I can drive it. Well, you learned how to drive it. I said, when my daddy bought that T-model forward, he said, well, I'm going to see what you can do. So he got our mother's seat, so all right, said, so let's go. And we left Lone Oak, I guess around 9 or something, about 9.15 or 9.20. And I, I drove it on in the Little Rock up here on Washington up there, backed it in up under the stove. You couldn't go through it. You can, you can now, but you couldn't then. You had to go up so far and turn the truck back and back it back in. I done that. And he said, you drive pretty good, boy. So I'm going to put you on the wheel. So that next weekend, that's what he did. He put me on the wheel. I drove that transport truck with that 14-foot trailer on it about, oh, five months, four or five months straight. 
hauling cotton, hauling rice. How old were you then? Sixteen. Sixteen years old. Yeah. <laughs> kind of heat? Yeah. Be out there sitting on the turn road, waiting for it to get daylight enough to chop cotton. When it get daylight enough to chop cotton, here we go. Chopped into dark, or you can't see. Boy, I tell you, people don't know. Hundred years ago was a, was rough. Sure was. Didn't matter how hot it got, you was gonna stay out there sure and work. Stay out there and work. Sure was. You miss yeah. those days, Mr. George? <laughs> I don't. I, I I don't forget them. I, I I often think about them when I see a lot of these folks just walking, just like. In heaven, how we used to walk without going, how we used to run up and down them turn roads, pick that cotton. And all we know is Monday to Saturday at 12 o'clock. Then you go in and you get that little little bonus. Be about seven dollars. It'd be in a food stamp book. That made like a food stamp book. Yes, sir. Yeah, five, ten. 15, sounds like that didn't have dollars. Yeah. So they didn't pay you in cash, you put it inside a book. Yeah, that, that, that's what you got, a book. Yeah, that's what that man is. And, and trading in his, his commissary, it was his commissary. Yeah, he owned that commissary. He give you that money and take it right back. Well, I think two weeks, uh, two weeks from tomorrow is your is your birthday. I think two weeks yeah. from tomorrow. Yeah. One hundred years old. Yeah. You got people all across the world they're ready for that day. Yeah. <laughs> all right, and we're back. That's the end of the video. Very powerful words. Very powerful video by our elder, Mr. George, as he is now 100 years old and he's still residing in Arkansas, right? That is a beautiful thing. Um, if you haven't done so already, uh, make sure you check the archives and we have a couple of more videos of Mr. George, our elder telling his experience about plantation life, about how black Americans were treated at that time, and how he noticed the change, and very powerful, man. I just, um, very, very powerful. I mean, that's just, you can't get better insight than that, you know. Even the part when he was talking about how after slavery, quote-unquote slavery, was marked as illegal and we fell into the sharecropping era how you got paid off the books you know they write your pay down they meaning the plantation that you work for they would put your pay down in a pay book right they write it down and once you get paid the commissary right was owned by the very same plantation owner that just gave you your check so you have to turn back around and then pay him for 
odds and ends, but you just got through working. For, it's like, man, it just shows you the games that these people will play, right? So, um, yeah, uh, uh, it's just uh, it's something, man. It, it's uh, it's a piece of history. It's a precious piece of history. And, you know, the Real Black Consciousness Forum podcast, that is a direction that we're going to go in as well, right? That was one of the directions that we were already heading into before COVID, right? Because, you know, I was going to a path in which I was um, interviewing the old timers, right? Just out the neighborhood, at the local bars, and they were talking about yesteryear, right? And um, you can check the archives for that as well, right? Just bar conversations where I'm talking to old-timers and they're talking about, again, yesteryear. And there's points in which I wished I was able to get my big mamas on camera as well, right? Telling this story, uh Two of my big mamas are no longer here. One is still here, which is uh, my wife's big mama. She's 90-plus years old, and she has some stories as well, right? And, you know, it's just that life that they live, right? Um, you know, my mom's mother was, um, she came out of a strawberry plantation, a strawberry patch where there was no cotton, but they had to pick strawberries all day. And, you know, my uh, on my father's side, my big mama on my father's side, she came out of a potato plantation. And then my granddad on my father's side, my granddad and my grand, they all came from the cotton patch, the cotton fields, right? All of this in Alabama. And they would just talk about work, work. Work, you know, my grandma used to tell a joke like she said, man, I don't miss them plantations. <laughs> and we used to say, big mama, I know you don't. Because she said, man, just strawberry after strawberry after strawberry. She said, I just don't want to see no strawberries no more. <laughs> now, here's the thing, though, too. My, my dad's mom, though, right, my big mom on my dad's side, she had a different story because she said that in that potato plantation, the overseer figured out that she could count, right? So she tells a story about how they was um, filling those sacks of potatoes up, and I think they had it marked at, I want to say, 10 to 12, uh, let's say between 10 and 15 potatoes supposed to go in the sack, right? And after you would load to each sack, a so-called white man would come behind you and he would recount your sex, right? And she said there was a time in which the recounting was going on and it was an error, right? The so-called white man said, well, there's only 11 potatoes here. And my big mama said she was a, she was just a young lady at the time. She was a young girl. And she said, no, 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 that's not 11, that's 13. And the so-called white man looked at her and said, well, you can count. And she was like, yeah, I can count. And he pulled her out the field and he put her in the chair, in the desk. And that's all she did. At the end of the day, she did the count. 
And she said she did nothing else. <laughs> now, those the other people that was left behind in the plantation, that's still a family now. It wasn't like these strangers that still is family, but they gave her a different position because she could count. Not only could she count, she learned later it was um, she corrected this so-called white man. There was other elders that also worked in the plantation that could count as well. But that was a thing. You didn't correct them. And my grandmama at the time, she was so young, she didn't know that she didn't supposed to even correct them in the first place because that was a that's something you didn't supposed to do. So there's a lot of different stories. There's a lot of stories, man. I'm talking about plantation stories and um you know this platform is gonna attempt to bring you guys more. Like I said, we was headed in that direction and I was interviewing old timers and they were talking about life in the deep south and how it was when they were coming up and I mean, the stories just go on and on, right? Um, I, I'll leave you with this, though. This is one of the most profound stories that I heard so far in listening to old-timers and interviewing old-timers, right? So, um, again, if you check the archives, um, there's a uh, interview I'm doing. It's called um, Bar Conversations. And I got maybe, like... Two or three more stashed. I haven't released those yet. It's going to take a whole lot of editing to release those because music is playing in the back and all this and all that. But I'm interviewing this one elder, and he's up in age. And this is something I never considered, right? He's from central Alabama, right? And we talked about the different migration patterns, right? Uh, in the city of Detroit, my hometown, the migration pattern is Alabamians, people from Tennessee, and then we got some from Kentucky, right? This is the primary migration pattern of Detroiters, okay? Then you have New York, which their migration pattern is the Carolinas, Florida, and Georgia. That's all New York is filled with. And then there's a bunch of brothers from the islands that go to New York. And then you have California, which is a bunch of people from Arkansas, Louisiana, and Texas. So there was like different migration patterns that black Americans took when they left the plantations, right? Here's something that's interesting, though. Um, I'm interviewing an elder, and he was talking about how they had to kill so-called white men how to dispose of the bodies. Now, I just never heard of nothing like this before in my life. And he said, yeah, you know, if there was some type of struggle or strife or there was some fighting done and you had to kill a so-called white man, what you would have to do is strip him down and you would have to cut up the body and you had to feed him to the hogs because the hogs had to get rid of whatever is left of him. You had to put the rest of his body in the slot pan for the hogs to eat him up. And I just never heard of nothing like that in my life. I'm a city boy, so we just don't know nothing about none of that. And he's like, listen, man, this is how it goes back in the deep south. He said, you know, 
You couldn't afford to have a so-called white man found, body found. And it was black people that was considered the culprit of him dying. Right? It, it just couldn't happen. He said, because what they used to do in central Alabama, if you had, you know, and all men... Homicide is just, it's, it's not no black and white thing. Homicide has been on this planet from the very beginning of this planet, right? Let's be clear on that. But if you had it in the racial aspect, he said, he said, what happened is that you'll get a ring of other so-called white men if they found out that a particular or any so-called white man was killed by an original man, they would come through the community and they would hang maybe six to seven people for that one person, just like to kind of like drive a point that this is something you don't do, right? As long as you guys kill each other, it's no big deal. But once you kill a so-called white man, that's different. And they will come through the neighborhood, the community, um, you know, in the country, in the fields, in these little shotgun houses or whatever you lived at, and they will hang six to ten black person just for the life of that one so-called white man. So if there was any type of anything that went on as far as the confrontation is concerned, that so-called white man had to be missing. And that just, I never heard nothing like that. Now, when I heard it, I edited that part out, the video. I'm more comfortable saying it myself than allowing someone to talk and tell the story and I'm just not going to do that, right? I'm just not. I'd rather tell the story. Because that's something, you know, we never heard of that. That's not in the history books. Of course, nobody would know that. And, and um, yeah, you know, that that's also a part of our history, man. This guy had to completely end up missing. He couldn't, you couldn't even afford to bury him is what I was told. Because our people was too scared the dogs would find the scent. So, you know, when we hear about people being cut up and all that, I mean, we've seen that on some Italian movies, you know, some gangster movies, but we didn't know that our people had to live this life like this. Or, you know, we didn't know you can cut up a person and feed them to the hog. I didn't know hogs eat anything like that. I didn't know that you got to take them to the swamp and put them in, you know, feed them to the gators. And we don't know nothing like that. We don't have no gators in Detroit. There's no pigs running around in Detroit. We don't have that running around in Chicago or Cleveland or Milwaukee or we can't fathom nothing like that, but that was black life. That's a part of black American life. So, you know, listen to these plantation stories and these days of yesteryear on this field, you know. Again, it goes back to a point that I made in another podcast that I truly believe that black Americans should be called something else, not necessarily black Americans, because it's like an all-inclusive group. Anybody can be a black American once they gain citizenship a brother from Dominican, depending on how dark you are, certain Puerto Ricans, um, if you're from the islands, Jamaicans, you know, once you get citizenship and you have some children, you hit one generation or whatever, anybody can be a black American. You know, some brothers from Belize, some brothers from Honduras, some brothers from Nigeria, doesn't matter. Wherever you're from, you can live here, get citizenship, and then one generation down or two generations down, Boom, you're black American because black American is an all-inclusive group, right? Even though these each individual groups have their own history, 
black Americans have became an all-inclusive group. So I think it's imperative that we investigate a different name for our people in which we're just called something different that distinguishes us from the rest of these groups, kind of like Indians, right? Indians like a protected class, right? You know, they're set aside. And for black Americans, that's are the descendants of the plantation, you know, we are the oldest and longest living minority group in the wilderness of North America, like Indians, right? We were the, we were always here. We were always here. So, you know, a, a people that been here two, three hundred years at the least, we kind of have a different history than someone that came after the immigration bill that was passed in the 1960s. You see what I'm saying? Like, that's that's something a little different. So we have a different lineage. We have a different legacy. And it should, it should be identified in the name of our group, right? It's not taking anything from anybody else that's, you know, we're all black people. We are people of color. We're all minorities because... Uh, we live in a country that has a majority group. Okay, we get that, but our legacy and lineage—it's a little different, man. It just, you know. Now nah, I said it best, you know. Heart of a king, blood of a slave. Peace and black power to your family. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you guys so much for hanging out, man. Real Black Content is Forum Podcast, man. I get it with you guys later. Peace.